When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, January 14th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 554 features the Ringer's Brian Barrett. And I'm Evan Valenti, and today's show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers receive $150 in bonus bets with any $5 bet. Welcome to Sunday. Welcome to Celtics Speed. And uh, if you're listening, watching, I'm on. Happy birthday. Evan Valenti, Adam Kaufman, and we have Brian Barrett from The Ringer back with us. We always enjoy having Barrett with us. And uh, listen, these these scrub Celtics have alternated wins and losses their last five games. Can we get a sustained run together? Obviously, I'm kidding. They're 30-9. and nine. They are the top team in the NBA by a few wins, as a matter of fact, over the next best club. They continue to dominate. Yes, there have been some inconsistencies in their play. Certainly, that's going to happen. But no real downs. Still have not dropped consecutive games. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen anytime soon. And I like the timing, guys, of this particular show. Because Boston is fresh off handing a whooping. To Ime Odoka's Houston Rockets, 145 to 113 the Saturday night game. And there are so many things, obviously, to come out of that game, whether it's things that specifically happened on the floor or what I prefer, just kind of a little stroll down narrative street and what it all means. And and doing that with Ime on the other side, you know, after getting doors blown in Milwaukee, a game that was a 40 point deficit or whatever it was at halftime and Joe quite literally, if he had one, waved the white flag and just said, screw it, and put all the reserves in for the entire second half after the emotional win the night before in overtime against Minnesota back at the Garden. So uh, it's been a, a fun, interesting, different kind of week, but I do think, guys, there's something just just fun. It just feels different. It feels a little bit better. It feels poetic to wax Udoka's club as as good as the Rockets have been, and I think they've surprised a lot of people. They're a 500 team, but man, a blowout felt good in that spot, didn't it? Yeah, especially considering too, like the blowout happened against Ime's six ranked defense, right? Where the team has turned it around, or at least they played significantly better than everybody expected because their defense has been good, and the Celtics absolutely shredded for a while there. It was a close game. I, I don't in the second quarter, I should say. I don't mind. Jason Tatum getting run out of that game because it was a blowout. I do sort of worry about, like, down the road. Him and Porzingis in particular, like, I worry sometimes about the accumulation. Like, when you get into the postseason, like, Tatum gets a lot of tees. Porzingis gets a lot of tees. But other than that, I thought Jalen was awesome in that game. I thought Tatum was awesome in that game until he ended up getting kicked out. And I felt the postgame press conference was kind of interesting to, interesting to me because I don't think a lot was being said at first. But then when Ime comes out and he said they lied when he was asked about the players being in the dark, I was sort of taken back by that because 
all the players have said positive stuff about Ime, right? Jason Tatum called him his favorite coach. Jalen Brown has waxed poetically on multiple occasions about Ime. So for him to say that, I just, and then, and Jalen and Tatum, they both did a fine job answering the questions, but I was caught off guard that he actually said the players knew more than, or they lied about being in the dark. I, because I, I really, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that's actually true? Because I don't, I think there was a small amount of people that know all the details, but so I don't know that, that to me was just like, Whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. I don't think the Celtics players knew all the details, but I, I, but I do think that they knew more than they let on when they were first asked about it, when everything went down and Emei was out and Joe replaced him in that very awkward media day, obviously a couple of years ago or a year and a half, whatever it's been, you know, I, that felt like there was a little bit of just follow the directive from the front office, you know, bite your lip. You don't know anything. These are, these guys travel together. They're with each other more than their families. They they run in a very tight circle as a, a basketball organization, coach and players and, you know, support staff and everybody else involved to, to, for me to believe guys that, that no one had a clue what was going on with Ime Odoka because he, he was just that good at, at hiding it or honestly even cared to hide it, which according, you know, by, by all accounts, he really didn't. He was, you know, already uh, long separated from Neil Long. Uh, you know, Gary Washburn told us that many months ago on this show, like there, he already was free to do whatever he wanted to do in, in terms of his own marriage. Didn't mean, you know, go break up somebody else's potentially, but you know, for, for no one, like, I mean, these guys, I don't want to like insinuate any in, individual, but just, you know, in general, if we're speaking in generalities, professional athletes, a lot of what you hear is true. You know, some run around on their significant others, especially when they're on the road, you know, that I, I don't know that every guy has every girl in every city kind of thing. Like maybe it used to be back before social media got as big as it is, but to be completely in the dark. It's one thing to not know everything, to be completely in the dark. You know, I'm, I'm not saying he may should have said what he said, but I don't think he's wrong. I, I think the well, guys Jay- jealous yeah. about how little they knew. Well, Jalen even said they, they thought maybe there was more than what they knew. I, I'm not saying that the, like nobody had an idea of what was going on. I just feel like surely I would expect that, Everybody doesn't know all the details of what happened. And the other thing I would just say, like circling back to what I said originally, I was just surprised that Ime said that like last yeah, night because of the, yeah, because of the fact that at every turn, the players have completely supported Ime. Going back to remember last year when he was up for the Brooklyn job and Ime and Jalen came out and he said he's happy that he's going to get another opportunity. Jason Tatum said something similar to that. So I just feel like, the players, it felt like, have always had Ime's back. And then, and Ime said a lot of nice stuff last night. He also said that he let a lot of people down. So he said a lot of the right things. I was just surprised that he actually said that last night. That I'm surprised to hear him say they lied. I'm not surprised. How many, how many times during the short stint we had with Ime Odoka that Ime just run everybody over with the bus during a press conference? Like it happened. It's true. <laughs> like the, the, the classic one is the Knicks loss they had when Ime just took the bus and ran over everybody and then backed it up over everybody's dead body and did it again. Like I, Ime's just been that guy for, and, and, and part of it, like I kind of loved it, but part of it was really strange. Like that Knicks press conference, I think I had. 
Chris Grenamon back when Grenham was working for Forbes after that game, Kaufman, I think you had a scheduling conflict and it was tough because it was such a disastrous loss. I think the, the mm-hmm. Celtics blew some ridiculously to the Knicks where they were up like 20 or something like that. And they just completely melted down at the end of the game. And it was the most bizarre press conference I think I've seen in a very long time. And Eme just took turns running guys over with the bus. This is just another one of those things where it's like Eme, you know, is going to always just be kind of this guy. And I'm not trying to say that's bad or it's good in terms of like his press conference demeanor. Like it really doesn't matter. You know, he seems to be getting the best out of his players currently. So, you know, got to give him credit there. I just thought it was weird. I'm with Barrett. It was just kind of weird after publicly the guys that were on the team when Ime was there have publicly backed him Mm -hmm. pretty much every time they could. They've shown him as much support as you possibly can without people groaning too much about like, hey, man, like, what, what are you doing? Like, he's gone. He like blew it. He did. He had a great opportunity and blew his chances to hey, fumble the bag. Yeah, to to you know to go to the NBA Finals again and to maybe win a win a ring with the way this team was progressing. Um, but I do also enjoy the fact that they absolutely boat raced that team and really took it to him and was like, hey, remember what you? This is what you left behind you, mate. We this team was really cooking and really coming together, and this is what you left, and this is what you. Uh, you screwed up. This team is firing all cylinders and is the favorite right now to win the NBA title. So, um, you know, I, I'd love to say it was just another game, boys, but that was not just another game. That was like the the, the Pritchard alley oop off the backboard at the end of the game. <laughs> I felt a little personal to me, but what am I saying? Well, and and I I saw Jake King tweeting about that too because of the thing that happened last year when Pritchard with family in attendance, you know, went off late in the game when when it was well out of hand and kind of ran up the score a little bit in, in terms of individual performance and he got railroaded by Eme behind the scenes about it and, and it was just like basically you don't do that. And he talked about it again post game, like you said, Ed, never a guy that would <laughs> shied away from a microphone when it came to calling guys out publicly. And uh yeah, it, it did feel like there's it's possible that there some of that flash late in the game when obviously that thing was well out of hand was was a little bit of a you know a, a jab maybe a subtle jab but you know Himmelsbach also responded to that and said you know but by the same token Peyton Pritchard was literally the only guy in the team that went over and, and gave Emei a hug after the game and they have the Portland ties, obviously, the Oregon ties. So yeah, who knows? I mean, I, I don't I, I'd like to think Udoka doesn't take that stuff. Uh, directly personally I'm sure enough has happened in his uh, life and career over the last couple of years that are far more significant than that but it did it felt nice to to have that be a a decisive win with them on the other side and uh, what was the remark to he had made a comment uh, about basically like the the way that it it felt like kind of a shot of what was it against Tatum and Brown or was it in support of Tatum and Brown with respect to the defense that was being played in that game too I I saw that quote thrown out a couple of different ways but it was something like you know I I I don't remember guys uh like guarding us the way that that Tatum and Brown just guarded us It, it it if if I heard it right it felt like and maybe I'm completely wrong about this for anyone out there watching or listening but if I heard it right it it felt like kind of a uh you know some of that defensive effort and intensity wasn't always there when I was in Boston type of thing well you know yeah, he said, I, would, I would have loved to play I would have loved for people to guard Jalen and Jason Tatum the way we guarded them tonight when I was here that, that's what he said 
Oh, so he was calling out his own team. Again. Yeah, he he was calling out his own guys. So, like, I would, stuff, you know, calling out guys on his team. So, so uh, very, very on brand. Just typical Eme being Eme. Yeah, very on brand. I can't help yeah. though. You know, geez. Yeah. Man. So uh, what is, man, I don't, this is, I'm going to be honest with you though. I, it is fun to look at some of like the differences in way, in the ways that Joe and Eme kind of handle just post game press conferences and talking to people in general. Like it, it is, it is different. It is, I think, significantly sure. different. Like Joe is, you know, and well, we're getting to know him a little bit more personally. Like I, I liked last night how uh, he was like, don't you want to ask me about my favorite movie scene again? Like, you know, when we would talk about the town or anything, but uh, I, I've enjoyed the Joe Missoula post-game press conference a little bit more than I think the email ones, the email ones used to baffle me. I think we've been spoiled, like, since Brad. Like, Brad kind of got boring, and now we had Ime, who was incredibly entertaining. You never knew what he was going to say. He doesn't hold back whatsoever. Like, that was his whole personality, too, right? Like, if you go back to that Celtics team, he was, like, the toughest guy on the team, right? Like, I bet nobody on the team would have wanted to fight Ime because he is, like, big, strong dude. And then we have Missoula, who is another guy where it's like, you don't know what he's going to say either. And yeah, I mean, the other day he was talking to uh, Bobby Manning and he started saying, I like, I like this. Oh, you wearing a suit. Like, so I thought that was funny. And I do like Joe's obviously has his back and forths with certain guys, but I do feel like the one thing I give Missoula a lot of credit for and whether he ends up being wrong or right about this, he's very strong in his convictions. Like he believes in certain things and he's going to go with that. And he, even if it doesn't work, he's going to keep going to that. And he believes in that. The only, th- the only criticism I like, I think that Joe, and I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with this. I, he's been way better this year. And you can say the personnel is better too. Obviously he's way more comfortable because this is his coaching staff. I do think there is, and this is not me taking a shot at Marcus Smart, but when Marcus Smart was here, it's a very strong personality. Now sort of, the food chain is easier, right? Tatum's at the top, Jalen and Porzingis, all these guys fit in after that. I think it that makes it easier. And the other thing I would say is, like, he's doing a lot of creative stuff defensively. The stuff that he does with Drew Holiday, I mean, in the, the zone they'll break out where they start in zone and then they're in man, like, all this different stuff that we didn't – I'm not saying they didn't do interesting things last year, but I feel like they're doing a lot more of that stuff this year. And we should expect that in year two if you juxtapose it – to year one. And I do think going back to something Joe said prior to the season, where he mentioned the fact that last year he took some of the criticism personally, but he had to like take a step back and realize it's because I'm the coach of the Boston Celtics, right? So it was almost like he was taking it too personally, like, hey, they're attacking me. It's like, I got to look at it from the perspective of, no, they're attacking the coach of the Celtics, right? And because the fan base wants excellence. So I think he's had a really good season. I mean, once in a while, like, some of this end-of-game stuff, I dislike some of the stuff they run. Like, it's just like, okay, Tatum on the right wing, isolation. Like, because he's so good at, like, when he actually draws things out after timeouts, he's really good. Like, in the Minnesota game, for example, they take a timeout. They get Tatum in isolation situation all by himself with the other side cleared because Jalen took – who Jalen took somebody with him to the other side. But nonetheless, my point being – it's Towns versus Tatum one-on-one with the whole side of the court. Tatum ends up getting the free throws. Of course, missed the second Derek White with the rebound. But they were, what, first in the NBA last year after a timeout and points per possession, second this year. So he does draw up a lot of good things when they come out of that. But I I don't know. I feel like he's been really good this season. I really do. And I, I feel like also, like, it's probably going to be 
Dagnall that's the coach of the year in the NBA. There's some other candidates like Ty Luce should certainly be a candidate after what's happened since the Harden trade. But I think Missoula should definitely be in the conversation again with the season he's had. I mean, they're 20, what, 19 and 0 at home. Like this is, I'm into this too, by the way. Like I'm all in. I want them to chase down the record. Yeah, same. It'll be. I was just going to say, I think, you know, going back to what you were just saying about Joe's comfort, and he's acknowledged this as well. I, I think it's it's just comfort within his own skin. You know, even putting aside, obviously, the basketball strategy and the personnel and the schematics and everything else that you acknowledged, all of which is true. I think the biggest thing for Joe Missoula, like no one ever looked at him, I don't think anyway, at least people that have paid attention and questioned his basketball mind or his acumen. It was more just, is he ready for this? You know, there were moments last year when he was thrust into that position, obviously. He was not, you know, in, in any way, shape or form prepared for it as as someone who had never coached above uh, you know, mid-level college. I mean, the, the guy wasn't even a, a D1 head coach, and and he was a second, you know, the whole second row Joe guy. He was, you know, he was <laughs> on the staff, you know, like way down the line. And all of a sudden, you in your 30s, by the way, are the head coach of the Boston Celtics. And I, I think, you know, even though it was overall a, I mean, however you want to define success, right? It was a generally successful year. They just you know, obviously exited in the playoffs quicker than anyone would have preferred, especially coming off of what had happened. But, you know, for a year one NBA head coach with no experience at that level beyond being an assistant for a little bit, you know, I think he did fine. Not great, but fine. And that was one of the bigger things that he has talked about going into this year and even at points this year is just his own personal comfort within his own skin and doing the job. And I I think we're you know, for all the reasons that you outlined and so many others, I think we're just seeing that uh, really play out and, and come to fruition here as we sit midway through the year. Yeah, I think if you go back and listen to that J.J. Redick pod he did in early mm-hmm. the season before the season started, the comfort level you're both talking about comes out there. And it's it comes down to not just like the daily preparation, preparing for the season before anything starts and and understanding, like, I keep going back to this, we got to have a curveball line he threw out there. And then, you know, Barrett talking about, like, the 2-1-2 zone or the 2-3 zone that they use, and then they switch it as the clock winds down and some of the double-team stuff that they do. And then, like, early in the year, I remember watching a game. They were playing the Wizards and blowing them out. And they just threw out a 2-2-1 press to see what it looked like. And, it, and, and, and Washington had no idea what to do with it. They had no clue. And I'm sitting there like, oh, this is really interesting. They don't have a lot of practice time. They just don't. In the NBA, you know, you're lucky if you get a, a couple of practices in a month or whatever. Um, he's using game time as practice. Like, they're blowing this team out, yet they're going to try different stuff, live reps against live bodies who are really trying at basketball. Like, this is good stuff. And so some of the things that you talk about developing good habits and and formulating, you know, schemes and all these things, these things all get done during the regular season. And I think Joe – is in his in his past this message along to the team as well. They're just taking a lot of possessions, I think a little bit more seriously in terms of like trying new stuff and just seeing yeah. if it works. And and that's gonna be the big like to me, the biggest difference between last year and this year, you know, not from an individual standpoint, but from his team standpoint, is how comfortable this team is doing different things. Like they're not mm-hmm. just a man-to-man defensive team. Eric Spolstra showed the world last year you can't just have one defense. You're going to have to have a couple because, you know, when 
push comes to shove, like when one team's so used to certain things that you do, if you have something else to show them and make them think for a while, that could be the difference of you winning and losing an entire series. So I'm thrilled with the development of Joe. Um, I'm not, I, I don't know if he's been like perfect, but he's been pretty damn close to it. And I, and this team is, again, we, they haven't lost back to back games since November, I believe, Kaufman. This is an amazing stretch. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, the sky's the limit for what they're doing. And, and Joe's at the head of it for sure. No question. Yeah. You got to go back to it was Minnesota and Philly at the very beginning of the season after they had started five and all that that happened. And I do think it's fascinating. Like this guy took over and he was on Brad's staff. The only like guy left over and all Emay's guys are here, right? It's like Ben Sullivan, all this group. And all of a sudden he's the head coach. Like that had to be a weird dynamic too. Even if all those guys were g- good guys. And it's weird too, like seeing the, Oh, Hey, look, it's the old Celtics coaching staff on the other side last night for the Rockets. And now Joe's got his coaching staff. But I do think to the point, well, even, on, even like Stoudemire, there couldn't have been some awkward, yeah. like you're going to tell me Stoudemire who had coached at a higher level in division one played in the NBA for as long as he did. Wasn't like. Uh, how, <laughs> wait, yeah. how, what, why, why, why this guy, not me? Yeah, like, wait, who, who is Joe? Who, who's yeah. Joe Mazzula again? Is he, is he the, are the coaching that guy that I'm always, hey, Joe, <laughs> sitting behind me? Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm just going to leave before the season's up. <laughs> yeah. And the, and I would say this too, like, I think one thing that, Obviously, Joe has now given a lot of ownership to the guys, right? Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I think that's the one other thing that has really impressed me lately is Jalen Brown, his last 20 games, I could run through some numbers. He's been outstanding. He's This may be his best defensive season. I thought, quite frankly, he was bad defensively last season. He would get lost off the ball. No, he still does that at times. But he, even last night, like Jabari Smith, like just cut in front of him. And what did he do? He's like, okay, I'm going to just go block this shot and pin it off the backboard, right? Like, he made a mistake, but then he made up for it. So I think he's been awesome. And that, the one other thing, and this is to sort of the Joe point, a combination of Tatum and Brown to go along with Missoula, is the OKC game, even though they lost, the one thing that stuck out to me is you have two of the best defensive guards in the NBA with Drew Holiday and Derek White. Neither one of those guys could do anything, anything at all with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And then what happens is at the end of the game, they put Tatum on Shea. And that's something like looking forward to the postseason if they have that type of matchup where, hey, maybe we can go to Tatum on that. And I think that's a maturation process for Tatum, too, because it felt like a lot of that game they were playing through Chris Porzingis. And it wasn't as if and my boss, Bill Simmons, made this point to me on my pot. He's like, it wasn't like Tatum felt like I have to go score on the other end. It was like what I have to do in this game is try to shut down Shea on the other side to get us back in it. So I think that shows a maturation too, where it's like, hey, this is a Porzingis game. This isn't my game, but I can do everything else on the defensive side. And that's really how you got back in the game is Tatum mm-hmm. taking on Shed. Yeah. So to put a a bow on this particular conversation, and the only reason I bring it up is just, again, recency bias, the fact that obviously the Celtics just faced off with Ime Odoka's Rockets for the first time here back in Boston. You know, let's just pretend everything that played out didn't play out. And you're looking back, you're thinking about, you know, year one, obviously with Ime, the only year versus, you know, where we are. And, and you know, you could have at that divide, that fork in the road, you could have made a choice. Do you think, and I ask this because you wouldn't believe, even with the team at 30 and 9, or maybe you would because of social media is a cesspool, you would not believe how many people 
I still hear from after a rare loss or even a tight win that it's biggest issue with this team going into the playoffs is Joe Missoula. It's not a player. It's not that, you know, it's, it's all, it always comes back to the coach. Maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. And I say that about sports in general, not specifically Joe, you know, maybe it should always come back to the coach in certain people's minds. It does. Would you say Barrett, this team is in better hands with Joe Missoula than it was with Ime Odoka or had Ime been able to continue on here and been the guy, would they be closer, even though they're right there on the cusp, would they be closer to a championship? Man, that's a tough one because I do feel like one of the things that I felt where Ime came up short in the playoffs is he leaned into defense. And look, they were two wins away from winning an NBA championship, right? Even though to my, I think that Golden State was the superior team. Like, I don't look back at that and say the Celtics missed an opportunity. They were outplayed. Like, in the, the, the certain certain guys were not ready, right? Jalen Brown. Minutes away from being up 3-1 in that series. I look at it as a missed opportunity. Oh, but fair enough, fair enough. But I, I will say, like, they exposed certain things with this that Celtics team. Jalen with the left hand, Jason Tatum, hey, after tr- two dribbles, let's go after him. But at the same point, like, they always leaned on defense. And I do feel like there wasn't a lot of things that Ime opened up offensively for those guys, right? And look, you can say some of it's personnel. Now it's easier for Joe that you have a seven foot three guy that can also shoot threes and can post up. And, and, and Tatum and Brown are now two years older, but I do think like the coaching staff in general is better. Like having Sam Cassell and having Charles Lee there. I think that, I think that this group is more equipped. My one thing that I fear is like doubling down late in games is because there is this pecking order of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And then I wonder at the end of games is there's going to be matchups. Like I was talking about earlier where, Hey, the best thing to do here is actually a Derek white, Kristaps Porzingis pick and roll. Is that going to be okay with the star players? And they seem to take on all these different roles throughout the season. So I'm hoping that they'll be okay doing that. But it's just, are you going to be willing to do that as the coach, being Joe Missoula, right? Because it's still, as we mentioned, it's only his second year. So I think they have more knowledge on the staff when we're talking about the other assistants and being in big battles in the case of Sam Cassell as a player. But will they be willing to push those buttons? Five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's a close game. The offense gets stagnant. Tatum doesn't really have it going. Jalen doesn't really have it going. Are you going to start saying, hey, let's play through Kristaps? That's the question that I have. So, I mean, a long way of answer, uh, answering your question, I do think they're better off right now with this coaching staff, even if you'd say, hey, I'd take Ime over Joe. I feel like at this point, I feel pretty comfortable with what, they, what they're working with. Now, I could look like an idiot a couple of months from now when Joe doesn't call a timeout when he should be calling a timeout or something along those lines. But I don't know. I feel a lot more comfortable than I did entering the season. I don't actually really hear people have complaining about timeouts this year. That was a, that was a last season thing. <laughs> uh, if you don't yeah. understand why they do it by this point, then I just don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, I don't think Joe's going to not call timeouts when we get to the playoffs. It's more about trying to get this team – to do it without using that timeout as a pacifier. Like, you know, but, and I think Joe's done a little bit of a better job this year calling timeouts. I think people have sarcastically talked about it online, but I, I, I think he's done a better job trying to end runs with timeouts in games that really matter and games that don't, he doesn't really care. But like in big games, like he'll, he will do that. He will, he'll call more timeouts when, when, it, when it comes time to it. Like I know, he, I know he tried to stop the bleeding in Milwaukee a couple of times, but there was just nothing he could do at that point. Uh, to back to the yeah, original question, this is, a, was dead. 
This is a fascinating question between Ime and and I mean, look, Boston's been blessed with the last three head coaches. All three of them are great. I mean, Brad. I mean, I. It's funny that this team now has all this talent. I would love to know what Brad would do with all these guys because what Brad was doing with with like Gerald Wallace. And like Brandon Bass, Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, like that's just like stuff alleged at this point. Imagine having this. Um, There's still people out there that believe Brad Stevens was a less than head coach. That's I, I, would, it, I, I would have loved to your point. I mean, this was what's so exciting about what we're seeing. And, and I don't even mean the results. I just mean the roster, the makeup, the way they play this. This is Brad Stevens vision come to life. And it took, you know, no slight on Danny Ainge. I, I really like largely Danny was a successful president of basketball operations here in in many ways in terms of roster building, team building. I know it was just the one championship, but, you know, in order for Brad's vision to again come to life, Brad had to be the one putting the pieces together. Yeah, and it's it's important that him and like you, if you ever listen to like Michael Lombardi, he talks a lot about, you know, the synergy within an organization. And right now you're seeing really good synergy between the head coach and the, the president of basketball operations and the guys on the floor. I mean, it's a very consistent message from the top all the way to the bottom. And that's what good organi- organizations do. And Boston for, you know, again, we'll ignore the nineties for a little bit, but ever since they made the, the KG trade has basically run like a world-class organization from the top to the bottom. There hasn't been a lot of, Oh, we don't know what's going on. There's a lot of confusion. There's not a lot of, you know, outside of Emay doing the, the stuff that he did. Not a lot of people, break, you know, getting out of line. I mean, it's just, it's just exactly how it's supposed to go. And then, you know, you have Wick at the, the head of it, you know, and, and, and I think Wick has, again, we'll see. We, Coffin, you and I have talked about this a lot. Like he's, you know, Wick has been one of these guys like, Oh, when the right team's here, I'll pay for it. We'll see if Wick's willing to, you know, pony up the tax money when this team, you know, you're looking for, Holiday and white extensions, you know, but uh, yeah, the the message is consistent. And I think it's just, it's a little unfair to say like, Hey, like Ime would be, cause Ime is a great coach. Like the one thing that I think some people miss is, you know, take the discretions out of it. Hell of a head coach. I mean, again, Houston going into the year, you, if you had told me Houston would be a top 10 defensive team in the league, I would have told you you were nuts because of the guys that they had in the roster they add Dylan Brooks and all of a sudden they're awesome at defense and, and they, and Ime's got guys really buying in. Like that's really impressive. And again, as much as we want to focus on the off the court stuff, Ime is a hell of a coach, man. And I guarantee you they this team would be still really good with Ime, with Joe, with Brad wouldn't matter. This team's stacked. Again, I like where Barrett's at though, in terms of it's interesting to see the differences between Joe and Ime in terms of like, Offense versus defense. What do you guys value more? We know Ime is a defensive head coach. I don't know with Joe. I kind of vacillate between both of them because of the way they, I mean, they're top, what they're top two in both offensive and defensive rating. So what is Joe? Is he just awesome? Is it personnel? Is it focus? Like, I don't even know what it is. It's, it's, well, I think, I think on uh, defensively, they just have so many smart players and in particular, White and Drew. Like the stuff that they can do is just, it's unbelievable. And it allows the coach to do so many different things. But I, I do think the other point, like just getting back to Brad, not his coaching, but his GMing, if you will, if I can even use that as a term. Oh, the okay. fast, the fascinating thing to me is just like he he totally understands the direction of where the NBA is going from the sense of 
this team is not going to stay together for four years. There, there's no way that they can keep this team together. So going back to like, I was talking about the, whether it's a missed opportunity or not, like this is their best chance to win a championship. This current team is going to be their best chance because next year, this whole group may not be together or knock on wood, like all these guys are going to be a year older. Do you have injuries? Like what does Al look like after next season? Heck at times, like what does Drew Holiday look like? Right. I mean, this is a guy that's got a lot of mileage. So this is like the year to break through. And remember you're paying Jalen Brown a super max. You're going to have to give Jason Tatum a super max. So you're not going to be able to keep all these guys together. And it's going to be difficult to build this team with role players. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just pointing out the fact that because of these new restrictions that the league has, you have to go for it now. So Brad looked at it as like, I have this window when we're giving Jalen the Supermax or about to give him the Supermax. We know Jason Tatum's getting his Supermax. I get to go for this now. So what is our biggest problem? Well, in the postseason, for the past couple of years, we run into these offensive issues where we just get stale. We get stagnant. So you know what we're going to do going back to what Valenti said about the comment about the curveball? Let's get one of the most efficient post scorers in the NBA. So, okay, boom, we got that. Now, in that deal... Of course, you send out Marcus Smart. Damian Lillard gets traded to Milwaukee. Hey, um, the Drew Holiday guy's available. Did, how much closer does he get us to a championship? Well, a lot closer, right? Because we're talking about one of the elite defenders of the past decade in the NBA, and he can play some point guard. He's Now, he's had his ups and downs this year. He was red hot in December shooting the three, but he's a really good shooter. And guess what? He's not going to be overtaxed as an offensive player. Because what is he, the fifth option on this team? Like with the starting lineup, he's the fifth option. So that's another piece where it's like, okay, we can be more versatile defensively. We can put him on Giannis at times. We can put him on Embiid. We can put him on point guards. We can put him on small forwards. We can put him on, like he legitimately, like people say, oh, he can cover one through five. He legitimately has done that this season. So I give Brad a ton of credit for saying, like, I don't really care about the future at this point. And they've done a good job. They have not given up a lot of assets, right? Like, they, they got draft picks in the Porzingis trade, right? So they have not given up a lot of assets. And he's gotten, like, the perfect players, too. Because one thing I'll say, and I know Celtic, a lot of Celtics fans may disagree with me, I don't think that Tatum's in, like, he's a great player, a top-10 player, like, in the same upper echelon category as the Giannis's, as the Jokic's, right? And that's okay when you build your team like this. Because he has better support than all those guys. Because I would argue, like, part of the reason Porzingis is here is because of the shortcomings you've had in terms of the offense breaking down in the postseason. So I'd give Brad a ton of credit for the vision. And, heck, Porzingis didn't have to come here, but he wanted to come here to win a championship. So you have to give him credit, too, because he could have gone to a bunch of other teams. But he said, I'll opt in so I can get traded to this team. Yeah. Well, as you noted, Celtics window is now uh, to, uh, to you know, to paraphrase Paul Revere or, hell, just to paraphrase uh, – you know, John C. Riley as as Jerry Buss, you know, the Thunder are coming. So <laughs> you better get something done because that team is going to be dangerous, obviously. And uh, one that people are going to be betting on, Ev, in the not-too-distant future. Is there something on FanDuel that we can bet on? Will the Celtics ever lose a game at home? Uh, I think we should uh, – look, we have the right guy on this particular pod to maybe suggest something that Barrett uh, Barrett's boss might have a little more sway with FanDuel than we do. But uh, that's not a bad that's not a bad idea. Throw it out there. I I don't have it yet. I don't think they have that. But I think they might want to start thinking about that. I mean, some, uh, especially you know, yeah. some opportunities were out there to uh, like, will the Pistons ever win a game this season? You could make that bet. <laughs> well, especially because after the Denver game, because the Denver game coming up later this month is going to be a tough 
home game. I think they'll, yeah. they'll get the 20 and all, but the 21, I think, is the Denver game. After Friday the, night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can talk about that if they win that game after that. We'll I jump think. ahead. We'll get to that. We will get to that. But right now, we're going to take a quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. NFL regular season completely done. Playoffs are here, and it's time for you to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed win or lose when you place a $5 bet. So $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed win or lose. Like, I was going to talk about what do we like, boys, for the Monday night stretch between Buffalo and Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay and Philly. But it doesn't matter because no matter who you gamble on, you're going to win. doesn't matter. I mean, personally, now that the game has been moved to Monday night, I like the Bills at home. Um, that minus 10 is a lot. But money line at minus 500, which is not a lot of juice. But to get 150 even bonus bets, like who cares? Uh, I like the, the plus 10. But if we're just doing straight money line, I like the Bills. And then Eagles, Bucks, boys, I have no feel. Zero feel for this game. Uh, I can't, like, actually pick the Bucks. I just actually can't do it as much as I, I want to do it. I Already just don't know if I can do it. Anybody any strong feelings here? Because I just don't know where to go. Already made the bet. Bucks plus three. I actually like the Bucks on the money line, plus 132. And if you want to get really frisky here, you can parlay that with Mike Evans, over 68 and a half receiving yards, because that defense has been bad for Philly. With Matty P, Matty Patricia running that. That's plus 253 for the Bucks to win and Evans to go over 68 and a half receiving oh, yards. And then we could have the Bill Belichick conversation. What are the odds on FanDuel for Bill to go to the Eagles after Nick Sirianni could get fired? Oh, man. Do we need to – might have to look at that. Hang on a minute. Uh, I might have to build that if anybody wants to kill some time. But that, <laughs> that's pretty interesting because uh, – that the the rumor's growing. That's all I'll say. The rumor's growing that if Sirianni, actually, I don't think they'll fire him, but it's something that they should discuss internally. Oh, he, he but there's be, so much to bet on, including whether Belichick's going to be the head out. coach of your favorite team. All that favorite stuff. Same game parlays. There's a new Explore tab that's got a bunch of fun things you can combine together. The Parlay Hub, obviously, for the most popular parlays, and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com/Boston. Make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner. Of the NFL must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering, online sports wagering in Kansas City under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. First online real money wager, money wager only. Ten dollar first deposit required. Bonus issue is non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit fanduel.com. RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee. And Virginia, call 100 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-77-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 100gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 800-522-4700 Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org, call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or, call, or text HOPE-NY in New York. I'm sitting here making my football bets. Yeah. While you're going through all that. Smart. Good. Smart. Paul, rushing yards over. 
Tony Pollard's been bad. Attempts. All right. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more before we do wrap up about this team, obviously, and what is to come. And you uh, you both alluded to it. This, you know, how Barrett said he's all in on this home winning streak. Evan questioning, you know, what's what's in store. Well, let's take a look at the the upcoming slate now. Obviously, you got to play the game in Toronto on Monday. You get a little bit of rests and every other kind of thing. So on Wednesday, back home against the Spurs, which you know most rightfully believe that should be. An easy win for Boston. You know, I've we've we've said these things before, though. I mean, how tragic would it be if it ended like that? But it should be a, a win going away for Boston. So then it's Friday night, less than a week from now, as we sit here. Friday night at home against the defending champs, Nikola Jokic on the other side, the Denver Nuggets. If the Celtics should get through that, you still have another test. You know, just before my birthday, by the way, in a couple of weeks, the Clippers are in town. The Clippers who are playing much, much better, believe it or not, with James Harden. Uh, and, and you know, Ty Lue's got that team a, a machine right now. Paul George is playing well. Kawhi Leonard, when he plays, is playing well. The, you know, supplemental players on that team, Powell, among others, you know, Zubox, they're, they're playing well. Uh, that game is Saturday the 27th. So you've got back-to-back home games coming up here after the Spurs game that are incredibly challenging. So how do we handicap the chances of of keeping this home-winning streak alive? Well, I feel really good about Wednesday against the Spurs. The Nuggets game, I think, is going to be fascinating because I wonder how they're going to match up. Not that anybody has like a good answer for it, but I wonder how they're going to match up with Jokic in the starting lineup, right? Because you don't really want to put Porzingis on him, like, because that's not the type of player that Porzingis, like, you rather Porzingis, like, they've done a lot of him in the Roamer role, right? Where he's off the ball, defending a non-shooter, and or somebody at least they're willing to let shoot. Now, that did burn him in the game against Oklahoma City when it was giddy, but it be interesting to see how they deal with Jokic. Obviously, that's the biggest mismatch they they have in that game and the biggest mismatch maybe in the entire NBA, no matter who he plays, but I don't know. I feel like the Celtics are, I mean, depending on injuries that we're like what, six, five days away, like depending on injuries, I feel like the Celtics will come out firing in that one. So I feel like they'll at least split those two games, the Clippers and the Nuggets game, at least split. You know what? I'll predict they win them both. You know, they win. They win. Split doesn't keep the winning streak alive. No, but it, it can still keep you in, uh, a chance to get to 40 and one, which is the would, would tie the record. Who I think it's the 86 Celtics, and I think somebody somebody else went 40 and one too. It may, it may have been one of the Warriors teams or a Spurs team went 40 and one. A couple of teams have gone 39 and two, a couple of one those Bulls, Bulls teams, teams, maybe. Yeah, it could have been one of the Bulls teams, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, they seem to get up for these. I mean, Milwaukee notwithstanding they, they seem to get up for these big games at home so I can't like I, I feel like I gotta go now Friday night I, I went last year when they played the Nuggets at home just to, I never seen Jokic play in person but I can't wait for that game that is gonna be electric because we have something called the internet I decided to look it up rather than just guess the 85-86 Celtics as you noted the other the 15-16 Spurs yeah, that's the that was and that's the same year the Warriors broke the record. I think they were also like thirty nine and two that season when they ended up what they went seventy three and nine. I think they were thirty nine and two at home, and they yeah. didn't have the best home record in the NBA. How crazy yeah, is fact, that? They went they went thirty nine and two consecutive years fourteen fifteen and fifteen sixteen. Wild. 
Yeah, it's insane. It's amazing. I'm trying right now. I'm, I I have the basics of it. I'm trying to do a little bit more, but obviously we're doing on the fly. If it's a little bit difficult to do. Uh, Boston, we all know 19-0 at home, but you look at the road records for both the Bucs, not the Bucs, excuse me, the Nuggets and the Clippers. Nuggets are 11-9 on the road, and the Clippers are 9-9. Nine and nine. So, Ooh, I mean, that's good. I, yeah, that's great. That's great. Obviously, everybody's not as good at, uh, off the uh, on the road as they are at home, but those aren't elite road teams either. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, how many points per game they can go – that far, well, the, the the man here, so maybe that. Brian will find it for me in the time that I'm I'm talking here. But it, it's not like they're playing juggernaut road teams. And honestly, there aren't a lot of great road teams this year. Like anyway, to be honest with you, like Boston at eleven and nine, you know, going to be kind of up there for road games. Obviously, the dominance of nineteen zero at home, but they're just not great road teams this year. The Thunder eleven and six this year on the road. That's extremely impressive because everybody else isn't close to that. You got a couple of 10 and 7, 7s with the Sixers and the Pacers. Um, but Boston's elite home record stands out no matter what you're looking at. It's just more of like, okay, so if they're on the road, you know, what are the, the Nuggets score per game? And, you know, obviously Boston's ridiculous at home, so obviously it's always going to look great. But if you want to break it down to that level, it'd be interesting. I think I do think oh, they'll get through both these games. If they lose one, it's going to be to Denver, though. Denver, so I, I, with I the, agree with that, but – here well there's it's twofold i agree with that but here's why one i just think denver's a better team two uh more importantly in this context uh they're going to be very rested they play tuesday night at philadelphia and they don't play again until the friday game in boston if you can get through that game however and beat the nuggets the clippers bad schedule spot they are in toronto the night before okay come to boston appreciate that but it's it's going to be interesting. I, and then after that, you know, we'll see. But they any any the Thunder come to Boston when Kaufman get the schedule in front of you because they're just the elite teams. They haven't played at home yet. Uh, and the Thunder, Thunder I think Thunder come the, to Boston in April, so you okay, got to wait. So wait a while for that. Yeah, you got to get through a. I mean, if the what the Clippers game does just to project ahead. I don't know how sure. many people out there listening are still listening because they care about this, but that starts off a, a seven game home stretch. You got the Clippers, the Pelicans, Pacers, Lakers, Grizzlies, Hawks, and Wizards all in Oh man, what a, the final three there. <laughs> that's a that's a two week period between uh late January and and just before the Super Bowl basically. Mm. I love the fact oh. that it ended with like the three easiest teams to play. Anyway, sorry Barrett. Well, they almost lost it to the Pistons, so who knows, right? I mean, right. and I was looking at so Denver is Denver is only thirteenth on the road in offensive rating, which is kind of shocking. You figure, oh, maybe it's the defense on the road. They're only thirteenth now. The Clippers are the rest points a good point because we've seen how that affects other teams like the Celtics. But the Clippers are fourth in offense in on the road, a one nineteen point four rating, and so I don't. It's weird that Denver has not been as good on the road. Like, usually, like you would think, and part of it, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some level of fatigue. I watched them the other night against, and I know Utah had been playing. It's weird. Utah was playing so well. Playing great. They go, they go to the Garden, and they get spanked. Yeah. And then they, 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 during this stretch, they've beaten, like, Philly, they've beaten Milwaukee, and they beat the Nuggets. I was watching the game the other night. Like, they had no answer for Jordan Clarkson. So I do think now, like. Five in a row now, then. Yeah, I do think there's sort of a, a a dog days effect with the Nuggets where they've won their championship. 
you know, we're past like the beginning of the season where it, you're all excited for the new year. And I think that it's one of those teams that's now is like, Hey, let's, let's get to the all-star game because they know who they are and they know what they have to do. So I do think there's like a dog days effect with them, but that, that's a good point though, that they play Tuesday and they could have a chance this week to like make a statement where it's like, all right, we beat Philly and then we beat Boston in the same week. And that's sort of like, okay, orders restored in the NBA. We're still the best team and all that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, it's going to be a really fun week for them. I watched that, that Utah Denver game and I'm like you. I, I could not believe what I was watching with Utah. I was like, what? Where, this is not a team that the Celtics played a couple of days ago. But hey, dude, what is Danny? Like crazy. They, they've won five straight with a, they look good. They look good. 120 points in each game. And right. yeah. as many like, as what is Ainge going to do? 25. I don't know. I mean, he's, I, they're, they're, they're fun. And I guess you could take the next couple of weeks to figure out if you're going to do anything. Um, they have enough ammo to go get stuff, get somebody if they really want to. They can also sell pieces if they want to. I don't know. I, yeah, that's a tough call. I mean, do they, do they go take a big swing at someone? It's like, I, but I mean, it feels like the Zach Levine trade is just an absolute disaster for whoever gets them because there's so much negative, you know, stuff around that. They will get Pascal Siakam. Do they? Do they dip their toe in a different place? Like, I, I don't know what they do. They're just, they're fun though. That, that game was fun the other night. No question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could knock the team off in a short series. They're good. They're talented. They're energetic, fast paced. I mean, they're, they're a playoff team. It's just, I mean, if anyone knows over the last, you know, however, you know, multiple decades uh, in the NBA, be it as a, a, a coach, a broadcaster, a player, and obviously as an executive, Danny Ainge knows how to, deal with you know wrestle with the question of is it enough to just be a playoff team so it'd be interesting Utah, maybe <laughs> yeah it's a good it's a good point because last year remember it's they were playing well they were in like the play-in situation or at least like so, play uh, play and they yeah they traded conley who was like the reason yeah. like once they traded conley it's like their offense was not stable anymore it was like yeah. they they're off it but i'll tell you like marketing if they really wanted to sell they could get a lot from marketing because mm-hmm. He's legitimately like one of the best shooters in the league. Like he shoots off movement. That guy's incredibly impressive. It's crazy how they get so like Chris Dunn is playing decent for them. Yeah. Colin Sexton's a guy that maybe they would trade to like some team would want a guard that could come off the bench and score. Yeah, it's a fascinating situation there in in Utah. And I am happy this like the one team they they couldn't even come close to was the Celtics. That game was bizarre. I like they had like 17 points with like it's like in the second quarter, I think, or at the end of the first quarter. It's like 40 to 17 at one point. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. And then they go beat the Nuggets. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any given whatever night in the NBA. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting thing. All right. Uh, anything else that you guys want to work in before we uh, re- relieve people of their listening and viewing responsibilities? I'll toss out one thing or one quick comment and then one quick thing so this is your favorite celtics podcast thank you we appreciate that yes of course that's number one number two is how about syracuse's finest o'shea Brissett? give him some minutes man i like it get him back i feel like he responded to brad's comments where brad's like that wing could be on the roster already we need a wing with size but what do you guys feel like they'll do at the trading deadline do you think it'll be they'll make a small move or do you think it'll just they'll stay pat They'll, they'll do something. I, I don't, it might be small, but they'll do something. But you don't know what it is because Brad's really good at not telling anybody anything. Uh, I think he's, and I think it's great because the guys they've picked up, 
Like, I don't know. They talked about John Conchar a while back and Memphis is totally out of it at this point. So, um, I don't know, you know, if they, if they're more willing to deal someone because they're totally gone and smart's gone and jaw's gone, but whatever, whatever Brad does, A, it's probably the right move, but B, you probably don't see it coming. Like, I know, I know Simmons is really into the trade, whatever you can for Caruso because of the defensive acumen and what he like, that would be the best defensive backcourt maybe like of all time between Derek White, Alex Caruso and Drew Holiday would be insane. Yeah. I'm with you. My, uh, Pina, Michael Pina from the ringer. He really likes Conchar who he yeah. mentioned. That's an interesting, he called him Di- diet Derek White or something. And his, I, I forget the exact terminology he used, but I had him on the pod after that. And I'm like, yeah, he well, wrote yeah. About that for, yeah he I'm like, about that. I'm like, dude, you're making me fall in love already. Like Derek White comparisons, but the other thing, like, I, I wish they could do something like, and this is a great team. They have enough right now to win the championship, but they just can't get to like some of these wings. Like Brad was referring to a wing with size. Like imagine if they could get Dorian Finney Smith, like, and how perfectly he would fit on this team coming off the bench, shoot like perfect. Like Joe would love him. Three and D guy would be perfect, but it's just impossible to get to that. Like you're not going to be able to get the contracts and we know. You're not trading anybody out of your top six, so that's why when you look at the cell, yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a small move. Yeah, whatever move they make, if they make a move, and they could very well just wait for the buyout market. But if they make a move, my question is: I don't believe it's a guy that cracks the top six. The question is: Is it a guy who's impactful enough to crack the top eight? Because that's you know that's what all of a sudden you're looking at come playoff time. So are you getting someone that is a better fit for you? And this is providing everybody's healthy, and not everybody will be on a night, pardon me, night to night basis. Somebody's going to go down at some point for hopefully a very short period of time. But you know, are are you getting someone who gets minutes ahead of the likes of Hauser and Pritchard? That's that's what I want to know. Because if you're getting someone who checks in even below them, you're getting you know nine and lower than. What How was impactful it? is it really? Yeah. Anybody, uh, well, how do I put this? Anybody interested in a Gordon Hayward reunion if he gets bought out by Charlotte? No. No? Zero? Zero interest from either of you? I, I would, it, like, if Gordon's going to come here for the minimum, I'm, <laughs> well, if he gets bought out, right, you're paying him nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I still like Hayward, man. I still, I, he can still play. The problem is, will he be available to play? The guy's always hurt. You know what's actually going to get moved is Terry. Terry's playing awesome yeah. for Charlotte. Obviously, the Celtics mm-hmm. couldn't bring him back. I mean, from a financial perspective, I wouldn't mind Gordon. I've, it's not like bigs, too. Like, could you bring a you know, big in? I, I just don't know if you need it, honestly, because in a postseason series, you're yeah. going to be playing Porzingis and Al 99% of the time, right? Like, you really don't need another big. I mean, it yeah. does sound like if you listen to that recent podcast he did, and he was talking about his time in Boston, kind of how it all fell apart. Uh, I... He does at least sound like a guy who would come in and uh, and fully understand his place, you know, within the roster and the organization at this stage of his career. That in and of itself would be attractive. I'm I'm just curious for the Gordon Hayward uh, is the same age as Joe Missoula. <laughs> like <laughs> they going on because they played in college together. I mean, like I I, I don't know if they ever played against each other, but they were in college at the same time. It was just kind of fun. It's like Al is older than Joe Missoula. I just think it's a very fun dynamic in this whole thing. Yeah, I I I feel bad for Hayward. Like how it's time. Like he's never been the same guy ever since he. Well, had that injury and it's 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 got a snake being the age that he is right what is he 36 to your point Fonte, or is he 36 is he 35 34 35, somewhere? yeah somewhere. 35 
Is that Wait, Hayward? 34? He's 33. Hayward? Okay, 30, 33. Yeah. Just pulled it up. He's 33. When's his birthday? Yeah, he, he's the John Wall draft, right? He's he's a March birthday because remember he's the same he's the he, he and Kyrie Irving were born on the same day but a year or two apart quite literally like a month older than me I didn't ex- I didn't expect that that's a little shocking to me that's all right so yeah but anyway I was just saying like he's all right so he's thirty three years old and he's been playing irrelevant basketball since he left us like this is usually the point in your career where you're trying to get onto a contender and he's sort of gone in the opposite direction playing the for the numbers Charlotte. have gotten worse by the year. I'm looking at his stats right yeah. now, and and it's not even the fact that he hasn't played more than 50 games since he left Boston either. The whole, you know, like you said, is he even going to be available? But points per game are ticking down, even though the minutes have remained consistent. Field goal percentage is, you know, he's he's still, you know, as good as he's, you know, other than his couple of years in Boston when he was actually pretty efficient. Um, you know, he's he's actually shooting better than he generally ever did in the utah days uh from the field not from three but yeah i mean he's just not he's not that guy anymore no uh, and I honestly if he were to go somewhere imagine his defensive metrics aren't the same he'd go somewhere where he has a, a, a bigger role because like being the eighth guy ninth guy off the bench in celtics is not where gordon here needs to be but yeah that'd be such a weird that'd be such a weird dynamic with tatum and brown so weird I do want to point this out before we go, Coffin. I want everybody to recognize where in the calendar we are in the Jason Tatum meme because the three yeah, balls starting to go down now. Meme. Now it's like, uh oh, <laughs> he's having he's having the resurgence, the January resurgence. Yeah, where he just is the best. I to go to reference and look at his career splits, and I bet it. I bet it does perfectly tell the story in you know aligning with that meme. It's incredible. I don't remember exactly how what the meme said, but it was pretty good. We're watching the second coming of Christ. Is is the is the what what is, is where we're at on the calendar? That's now. where we're in the calendar right now. And then <laughs> and then the the April one is like, man, if he plays like he did the last two months, we're gonna win the title. Basically, <laughs> we're watching the second coming of Christ. So yeah, good. It's about right. All right. Well, let's call it. It's a good show. It's a fun one. Uh, obviously, great. thanks to our our friends at FanDuel for helping to make this show possible. Of course, to Brian Barrett from The Ringer, everybody at The Ringer, Michael Pina, Bill Bill Simmons, everybody. I mean, everyone under The Ringer umbrella who's, uh, you know, at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, KOC, everybody. Vernon, why the hell not? Let's just thank The Ringer. Maybe The Ringer wants to more regularly do stuff with our podcast. I don't know, but Barrett's a regular <laughs> We love the guy. Uh, for Evan Valenti, I'm Adam Kaufman. Thanks for hanging out with us. Get us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Celtics Beat, rate, review. Most importantly, please do subscribe. We appreciate that. And let's uh, continue to chase down not only wins, but in particular, home wins. Let's get after that record.